Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley, and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with author and leadership consultant Grayson James on the internal art of collaboration and why collaboration can be elusive in most organizations. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Grayson James, who is an author, the CEO, and founder of Grayson James Consultants, where he focuses on leadership development and business performance. Welcome, Grayson. Thank you, Christian. Good to be with you. I know you've got a few more things uh, on, on your resume besides just, just that. I'll come back to that. What we're talking about today, though, for those that are joining in, and we, we talk a lot about culture in the podcast. And we talk about, uh, as I was just telling Grace before we started, uh, you know, I, I the, the library is filled with leadership development books and you know, I'm very passionate about the, the topic. So I'm very excited to kind of dig in on this, this topic today. We're going to talk about the internal art, air quotes here, of collaboration and why? Why is it an art, not a science? And we'll get into that. And why great collaboration can be elusive in most organizations. So, Grayson, maybe I always like to start like more about your background, maybe more about what your customer focus is and what your company does and kind of go from there. So feel free, take the stage. All right. Thanks, Christian. Uh, well, I I never set out to be a consultant or a coach. That was uh, never in my mind early on. Uh, but I did early on discover that I really had an interest in how people get along with each other. And it started when I was uh, CEO of a private school system in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I was uh, relatively young and, and inexperienced. And I discovered that we had uh, five campuses around the Bay Area and different cities around the Bay Area. And we would all get together. I'd get together with our campus directors and, and senior administrative staff uh, monthly and have all day, full day meetings. And some of those meetings went great and we'd leave enlivened and energized and clear. And other times it was as if I we'd leave we'd leave the meeting just scratching our head. What just happened here? We just spent eight hours or more together, and it was all over the map. It was unsatisfying. It was draining, and I just started becoming interested. I didn't at that time realize that it had something to do with me, as the CEO, as the as the uh, you know the leader of the team. I just attributed it to the other things, and um, but I started slowly. It started dawning on me that. Well, you know, maybe A, it has something to do with me and how I'm showing up and how I'm engaging with people. Uh, but it also has to do with other factors that were mysterious to me. So when I left the schools, I became I I devoted myself to learning more about how people interact with each other. I got trained as a professional mediator and worked as a mediator in the California court systems. Oh. I Bless you a, for that service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I jokingly referred to it as my uh, 
circus leader days. I, I specialized in multi-party complex litigations. Hmm. So picture rooms with anywhere from four to 40 people or more sometimes, um, all of whom are parties to a lawsuit or the, the parties to the lawsuit were there with their attorneys and often insurance representatives, uh, paid uh, expert witnesses and so forth. So, uh, you know, everybody basically was there attempting to deflect responsibility uh, and uh, for, you know, whatever was going on and trying to save as much money and time as they could. And my job was to help them have good conversations towards that end to uh, stay out of the out of trial and resolve things so everybody could get on with their lives as uh, inexpensively as possible. Yeah, I, so my my first, uh, the job right before I got into tech at the beginning of my career, when I was 19, was a runner for a law firm. I've always said that the two best places in the world to people watch are one, uh, the Las Vegas Strip. It's just a different <laughs> planet. Uh, and, and and then find a, 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 a muni or, or, or superior courthouse and just kind of watch some of the interactions. It can be fascinating. But Pretty uh, interesting stuff goes on. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I around that time, I was also I had gotten interested in uh, martial arts while I was running the schools. And um, that has been that has continued to this day. And I've uh, the particular martial art that I focused on is Aikido, Japanese martial art. And um, I studied boxing for a couple of years, but uh, Aikido is really it's what I've been studying and teaching for the past 30, 35 years. Hmm. So someone yeah. is it doesn't come together, they're not collaborating, then you just take care of them. Just well, you know, it's never come to that. But uh, but I do. Uh, I will say that the um, the martial art of Aikido is perhaps uniquely positioned to inform what goes on uh, when we're trying to collaborate with other people. Explicitly, the art is about. Uh, the philosophy it, and what sets it apart from other martial arts is that it's explicitly aimed at trying to resolve the dispute to deal with the incoming attack without harming the attacker. So already that's a profoundly different perspective and it's, it's a lot more challenging. Hmm. Uh, it, it means we can't just, protect ourselves at any cost. You know, it, it means that we have to take a level of responsibility, which also means we have to have gain some awareness about the other person and what's going on beyond just the basic uh, techniques that we're looking for to protect ourselves. Yeah. And uh, this is why I call the book Full Contact Performance. And it's the workshop. The book is really built on some workshops that I've designed and have been leading around the world for a couple of decades called Full Contact Collaboration. And um, in martial arts, of course, full contact, you know, it refers to a type of sparring where people are generally um, fully padded and protected, mm -hmm. but they're not holding back. They're really going at each other full out. And uh you can get hurt, of course, and uh, but you also really learn a lot when you're engaged in full contact in martial arts perspective. You learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about your assumptions, your training, but you also learn a lot about your partner. 
So I see a direct correlation here with uh, life at the in the office, you know, with our collaborative encounters and challenges. I I, I like that concept uh, because I mean I think in as we were kind of chatting before we started, it, you know, a lot of um, in the companies that I've worked for and and with and with with clients, um, the ones where I thought had the best culture of collaborative culture um, were the ones where there were guardrails in place of like what you had like, and people had respect for each other, but they were willing to be open about their minds. So that kind of, you know, it shared yeah. their thoughts about things. If you're holding back and every thought, cause you don't want to offend somebody and not that you want to do it in a, an offensive way. I mean, you need to be a business professional in there, but you know, it, with feedback can be always be more constructive around that. But if you're not, sharing and I, I i'm equating this to that full contact if i'm not going in there and telling you look i disagree with you but here's why and here's what i need to do you do and then for us to go back and forth if we're holding back because you don't want to for political reasons it's not my place or it's like kind of all those things where i think as humans we self-edit we hold back we do that because a lot of times of perceived reasons like i don't want to it's not my place. It's not my role. Um, you know, I may have had this experience previously, but that's not my job description. It's not my responsibility for this. All of those reasons, you know, that we then that hurts the culture. The best cultures are where you can speak openly. It's not a, again, in my opinion, not a respecter of titles so much of bring your experiences, bring your whole self. Let's have that, that conversation. I've, I've been in organizations where we found ourselves actually yelling at each other. We're fine. Then go out to lunch. Like we're just passionate people and we were allowed to do that. And it wasn't for everybody, but it was, it was a fantastic culture. And, and I'm guessing you all felt fully engaged and energized and you would leave those meetings uh, feeling better than when you started the meeting. And not exactly, and not that we felt like all of our ideas were validated 100% and we're going to go take action on it. But I I always, as I was early on, was a project manager for many years. And my philosophy was, look, I um, let, let's have a discussion. I, I understand. I heard you. Here's why we, and in, just so that you understand that, but here's the decision that's been made and why. And I, my experience was that when people felt heard, uh, and then they and they understood the process for review, even if their idea got knocked down, they understood why, and they were more supportive of that of the decision of moving forward, even if it was against their decision, because they understood the process. That's so fundamental. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and having said that, few companies that I've worked with have have worked that way it's and so that's rare right it is rare yeah why why is that i mean you talk about it as being an internal art why is it an art why isn't that a, sci a science why can't we just teach that and everyone go do that yeah well there's a lot to that question um why is it so elusive one of the things that I have found over the years is, and I discovered this doing workshops with uh, leadership teams uh, around the country and in other countries, 
And I, I've started seeing the same thing show up everywhere. And um, when in the in the uh, workshops, I would have people examine their conversations when they were challenged, when they were in difficult interactions or collaborations that were not going well. And one of the most interesting things that showed up was that people consistently believed that they were being more collaborative than they actually were. Hmm. In other words, when they stopped to really examine closely how they were interacting with their colleagues, they realized they were surprised. They realized they thought they were doing all of the, the great, the right things, the great things that work in collaboration, but they realized they had previously thought that, but when they looked closely, they thought, oh, I'm actually not listening very well. And when I'm speaking, I'm there's an edge to it and I'm uh, accusatory or I'm uh, dismissive or I'm not really present. And they realized it was kind of an epiphany. Oh, I'm not doing the things that I thought I was doing. And in fact, I am doing things that I never thought I was doing hmm. that were evident to other people, but not to me. So I started realizing there's something really important about awareness. Hmm. Yeah, that is the key. People, we're, we're just not aware of what we're doing and the impacts we're having on the people around us very often. And that makes it hard to change. It's really hard for, I mean, this, let's get uh, psychological here. It's, it's really difficult to uh, see and perceive the, the, the traits of the, of your own ego of, of the, of the id, you know, the ID your, yourself. Um, there's a, uh, there was a, a keynote speaker, uh, just kind of a, a, you know, business speaker that we brought in to an event um, years ago that had, had a friend with him and he was introducing this is his second time doing this topic for this keynote on building a business and he works a lot with startups and stuff just a fantastic speaker and he had this person so he had this his, his speech and he gave it uh and it was really well received we had about 1500 people in the room um people clamoring for it uh, he was selling books outside cleared out all of his books did really well there but he had this individual that was there with him was sitting there and following along with this giant binder. And I've talked about this in the podcast before, but uh, was sitting there and had his entire talk. And as, as he was speaking, was taking notes and was, and I found it afterwards. Uh, so this, this uh, speaker's name by, by the way, is Romanus Walter and hmm. co-author or author of multiple books. Um, but he had this person taking notes and of taking note of, did people laugh at that joke? Did, was there the response? Did, when he mm. asked the question, did hands go up? Were people nodding? Was doing mm. that kind of observance? And he would, so we talked about how he would go and take that information and modify and tweak that so that it hit on all cylinders all the time. And it was highly engaging. Anyway, the lesson learned about that is I, I later on heard of someone who essentially did that same thing. Um, having somebody third party critique recordings of meetings. Yeah. So how they were performing in, yeah. you know, every day and monitoring that. And so that was part of it was a, just a management, you know, leadership development, paying for this consultant to do this. And I thought, again, brilliant. Somebody that recognized that they were not aware of some of the habits that they had picked up. 
And so having this voice come in and then providing guidance on that, I think it was brilliant. It's a great way of really expanding your awareness. It's hard to be aware of what we're doing as we're doing it. It's hard for, for most people to do that. And especially if you don't have experience or, you know, haven't learned to do it or practiced it, it's really hard. So that's what, that's a great example. I love that th this speaker was just so committed to his own performance that he had this uh, person giving him that level of, of precise feedback, real world feedback. That's a beautiful example. Uh, I've, re you know, I've recorded some, some meetings with leaders. Not all have wanted me to do that. I've often offered and been declined, but some of course do. And they are often very surprised, just as I was saying earlier, oh, wow, we just w didn't realize how what I said was being interpreted. That happens a lot. So you asked, why is it so elusive? Yeah. Awareness is a big factor. Another is that when we are engaging with other people, we tend to assume that th the challenges we encounter when we encounter challenges has have to do with those other people. In other words, you and I are trying to agree on something. We're working on a project together. We hit a, hit a wall. We're frustrated. We don't know what to do. In all likelihood, we're both going to be assuming, God, if I could only get, Grayson is saying, if I could only get Christian to change here, if only Christian would be more collaborative. Christian is saying, God, that guy Grayson, he's so stubborn. If he's not listening well, if only he could be more cooperative. And we we both uh, get stuck in those assumptions that the the other people are the problem that we need to solve. And then we go about trying to solve the problem of those other people. Mm. And how does that work? That never works well. Right. Why? Because Christian doesn't want to be fixed or solved by grace. I'll and dig Grayson in. doesn't right. want to be fixed or solved right. by Christian. So yeah. we do all of these techniques and, and we try all these machinations. And usually it just makes us more defensive and more uptight. And it doesn't improve our collaborative performance. So that really points to... Uh, how are we using our attention? This is one of the, the, the things that I talk about in my book and that's central to my work is that we don't just collaborate with our words. We don't just collaborate with our conversations. We collaborate with our words, but also with our bodies and our attention. If all of my attention is constantly on you as the source of my collaborative challenges, then I'm pretty much boxed in. I'm, I've kind of boxed myself into actions that will will always be focused on you and that keeps me from being able to examine myself and what is it that i'm doing how is it that i may be listening how are the words that i'm using landing on christian such that it's producing the outcomes here that we're producing if i always am focused on you i'm never going to have a chance to look at myself and really and actually learn and expand my own capacity. So this is um, never taught. This is you know not things you learn in business school and MBA school, most leadership programs. 
They're focused on techniques, on tips, on things to do, uh, yeah. but not on how am I using my attention? How is, what is the role of awareness in my performance? So that's why I call it an internal art because those yeah. are really, that's an internal focus. Well, we there's a, a I, lens around. I, I think that there are, uh, you know, there are certainly, I, so I've been through, um, you know, uh, some leadership development training um, years back uh, with a company that uh, was based up out of the Puget Sound. They're now, they're expanded. They're on the East Coast. They're in the Bay Area. Um, and they're, they had a, a huge focus on that awareness. So much as so is that they would even, as part of the leadership development, would uh, uh, train on like breathing techniques, being aware of your position sitting in the chair, the feel of the desk in front of you, all those things that if you're more aware of those things, then you'll be more aware and perceptive of what's actually happening in a, in a discussion. One thing that's interesting about that, and I'd like your perspective too, is that it, it there is something to be said about knowing yourself, knowing your own style, knowing your, your the constraints. I mean, from a technology standpoint, the constraints of the system. Um, I'm part of that of the system. We're trying to solve a, a problem, but mm -hmm. I understand, you know, what words trigger me. What if someone's too forceful or not forceful enough, like how I react to each of those things. If I know my style, if I know my personality, um, what I, the training that I had and, and look, it, it takes effort. It's not something that you could just, Hey, read a book and then go and put it into practice. Yeah. It takes practice to be aware of that. And then to understand your own constraints, your limitations, your style, but then to start to recognize like those traits in other people as well. And then the hard part is then, okay, Grayson, I understand, you know, like I'm getting this sense from my conversations with you, or we're working together that you're this, this personality, this is how you approach problems, this is how you're doing things. Here's my approach. The higher level function is then for, for me to understand for my personality style, to be able to work more closely with your style, here's what needs to be different about this, this interaction. So it's recognizing those differences and then having in your like tools in the tool chest of, hey, here's how I know that my personality style can work with your personality style. Is that is that part of what you focus on too? Is looking at and understanding the style differences and then having kind of tools for handling that managing that yeah i think the difference for me is that i'm i'm not so concerned with personality styles uh i'm more interested in uh what's actually showing up in terms of how people are moving with each other how are they interacting and engaging uh i've often found that if i get um people if I start to type people as a certain type of personality, it actually closes me down to them because I become I, I become expecting right. of them to behave a certain way. So I'm really trying to, and by the way, I loved your example about that other, uh, the leadership consulting firm. I think it sounds right on because it really is all about gaining awareness of yourself. And as the more you gain awareness of yourself, the more you'll be able to pay attention 
and learn more about the people you're around. And that sounds kind of strange, counterintuitive at first. Like, why would knowing myself more help me know other people more? But it no, does. That's, but it, no, that's a, that's the key to so much. How many times have you heard yourself saying the words like, they're just not self-aware at all, you know? Yeah. And they're the, the, and the, the managers, the leaders that are clearly not aware of how they're coming off that they're just bulldozing people or that they're just too uh, the opposite end too mouse like 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 how could they not be aware that this is how everybody interprets like their you know their their actions and and so ha having that self-awareness is the key to moving forward i think it is yeah, absolutely yeah so what are the other components so we talk about the awareness component so so what is the scope of full contact performance? So how do you define well, there are, it? There are actually awareness is, is one of the five principles I mentioned in my book. So awareness of what we're doing with our words. Uh, and what we do with our words, by the way, is there's a lot more going on with our words than we tend to think. There's, we don't just create meaning with our words. We actually take action with our words. Words, are, we, we act when we speak. And recognizing the action inherent in our words is one of the important things that uh, really helps people open up their collaborative performance. Um, awareness of our words, awareness of our bodies. So what does the body have to do with collaboration? Well, you you gave a great example. You know, how are you sit, feeling your body sitting in the chair, sitting at the desk, being in this conversation? Well, we all have a nervous system and our, the state of our nervous systems determine a lot about what's going on. If my nervous system is hyper aroused uh, or feeling uh, threatened, that's going to significantly shape my perception. Hmm. It's going to filter how I listen to what you say, how you say it, how you look when you say it. It's going to send me in all sorts of directions based on that particular state of my nervous system. If my nervous system was in another state, I would listen very differently and I'd perceive mm -hmm. things differently and I would respond differently. So the body is a really central part. We always are speaking and listening within a body. So, uh, and the third thing is our attention. Becoming more aware of what we're doing with our attention is also important. So for instance, if I'm constantly thinking you're the problem, that I have to overcome, that's going to shape everything that I do. You're not going to listen to what I say as much, or, or you're waiting for the next time, the next opportunity for you to speak up and again, reassert your position, right? That's right. Or just try and change you and fix you or yeah. however I might do that. There are, you know, a lot of ways that I might try and do that. Very few of which will probably work very well. Right. So the first principle is awareness. The second principle is that we're all connected. We're already always connected. So as soon as you and I logged into this Zoom call and listened to each other's voice, saw each other on the screen, we're connected. We walk into the meeting room, we walk on stage, wherever it is, we go to the customer, our customer's offices, we're already connected. What does that mean? Well, we do have these exquisitely fine-tuned nervous systems, we all do. And we're constantly picking up the cues from one another, most of which are completely unconscious. We're not aware of it, but all of it 
works on us. It all shapes the way we relate to one another. Now, that can work for us or it can work against us. Because we're connected, I may do things that I might not think would have any impact on you, but they do because your body's picking up on that. Your nervous system is picking up on that. So we can use this connectivity for good if we become aware of it. And if we recognize that uh, the more I can put you at ease, the more I can be in myself in a way that, that uh, allows you to trust me more and be open to me, usually by being more open to you, because we're connected, we also have this reciprocity principle, which is that we tend to um, mirror each other. So, you know, there's a lot of research out there that um, really shows how this reciprocity is at play. Uh, if you're more trusting of me, I'm going to be more trusting of you, most likely. And the same is, you know, true for me and you. When, when the, the way I act is going to probably trigger similar reactions in you. Um, but when we don't realize that, that, then this connectivity can polarize us as easily as it can bring us together. So recognizing that we're always connected helps us to remember what it is we're really wanting to do here. You just made me think of, I'm going back to, uh, your mediation time. It is thinking of people that have the personalities that can do that type of work. I look at a lot of, uh, uh, you know, police officers is a great example of that. And there are differences the, the videos that are out there of uh, one of, one of the uh, uh, you know, video series that I really enjoy is where they're kind of grading the interactions of officers of their mm. body cams with people that they're pulling over and, and across the board, the highest marks are those that no matter how aggressive, angry the person is that the police is, policeman uh, is, is interacting with, they're able to remain calm and focused on that. A good mediator does that, knowing that there's passion and anger and whatever it is that they're mediating between, a good mediator has that calming influence so when you're as you were describing this i just thought of that when when an angry somebody that comes in and they're agitated they're angry it changes the tone then of any interaction you have in a meeting with that person absolutely yeah it's a great example you gave yeah the um so this this connectivity principle really uh meshes beautifully with the next principle which is that we are active participants in our interactions. We're never just passive recipients. It's never just somebody comes in with this big, strong, you know, energy into the meeting and uh, I'm just receiving it, sitting by passively receiving it. If I believe that, then uh, Why are you I would have limited our, our but, capability for interacting with each other. But that, but that's true. Like, look, there's, I mean, and there are different meeting styles or, 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 or meeting purposes, I should say, uh, where sometimes you are passive in the background, you're listening in. It's like being CC'd on an email. Like, uh, do I really need to be here? But in general, when you're in a meeting, like you're there because there's a purpose, you're a stakeholder in that activity and you, you should not be a passive member of that, of that meeting. 
yeah when i when i believe that i'm just a passive member that that <clears throat> the way i am being doesn't really impact the meeting or the other people in the meeting i'm uh, i'm basically leaving a lot on the table i'm uh, it's not going to be a very good meeting for me probably not for others either well, I, I think in the, in the era of now of all the online meetings, I mean, some of those, again, I, I look at it as that way. If, I, if I'm really don't have a role, I'm not playing a role. I don't have something. I don't have a voice in it. It's really you just kind of a multi-phase there. Mute myself after a while, turn the camera off. And then I just remove myself from the, the online meeting. You can't really do that with the in-person. Um, but um it still yeah. happens. People yeah, find ways to do that, you know. Kinda just slowly move yourself back out of the room. Yeah. 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 So um, you know, people complain about endless waste, you know, time wasting meetings. Well, part of it is that um they don't really recognize that they are active participants in all of that, including in the passivity, the experience of the time being wasted. That is actually something that we each bring to every meeting. So when I recognize that the way this meeting go is going has a lot to do with how I am engaging with it, it really changes things. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the fourth principle, which is practice. It's, you know, um, collaborating at work is not really different than learning to play golf or piano or anything else that takes skill it takes learning and it takes practice yeah we have to change our nervous system that's where skill lives well there are organizations that that un understand that i there you know, look i have friends that are in again i work with the, largely within the microsoft ecosystem around collaboration technology sharepoint microsoft 365 and the different tools and things there but that, so i have friends that are consultants that are uh you know uh practitioners and trainers in uh like collaborative games and they refer to it as like gamification but it's not it is training it helps raise awareness. It gives people tools and methods. And I know that you, and I, it's my next question is to talk about like the different, the key types of conversations in full contact collaboration. But that's, that's one of the things that, so I know people that, uh, you know, they, they, they go and talk to companies and I've worked with organizations where they make it a regular practice. It's not just like, uh, I worked for a company, a startup years, years back where every Friday, they would shut down at 3 p.m. and they would have one of the conference rooms that had a patio. We were in downtown San Francisco and they would have drinks. It was every Friday. It was the thing. And people mm -hmm. thought, oh, it's nice and people can leave early. It's like, well, no, they're not saying, hey, go take off. They're encouraging. They're not, they weren't requiring, but they were encouraging strongly. No, come participate because it was an opportunity to, okay, meetings are done. We're standing around and we're having this engagement where we're moving in a lightning pace. It was, was a pre IPO company, VC funded. And, you know, but let's have this interaction. Um, yeah. Let let's, let's do this because they saw the benefits of that. It was a training of, you know, so that was one, that was a more of a casual training of people to stop, pause, build personal connections and, and talk. 
and it, they they recognize that that changed the tone of a lot of the other internal conversations because people were able to kind of make the the personal connection. But I've yeah. also seen companies where they've actually had like formal training. Like um, I, I I went through I read the book years ago, uh, Crucial Conversations, and yeah. went through the multi week. It was just this ongoing training of that, and then there was the what is it Critical Conversations. Uh, the second part to that, I just remember there's a blue book and a red book. Anyway, part two to that, but it was required training. Mm-hmm. It was all funded. It was a third party bringing in, but it was all of these, you know, soft skill training things. But the company saw this as important that they had to constantly renew. And anybody that was a people manager, you were required to go through these, but it was a constant training you know, a reaffirmation of like these skills and these capabilities. That's what uh, it takes. Yeah. It, right. Well, like anything, it's, 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 it's like a language. It is a language of, of good collaboration is like a language. And if you're not using the language, you lose the language. Mm. Mm-hmm. It has to be an immersive activity. Yeah. Uh, so maybe, so what I know in the time that we have left here, Maybe you could go through what are those three key types of conversations that you talk about in full contact collaboration? Yeah. <clears throat> the three types of conversations. There are many types of conversations beyond these three, of course. But, <clears throat> excuse me. In terms of the three types of conversations that I see are really central to strong collaborative performance. Uh, they are the learning conversation, the design conversation, and what I call the fulfillment conversation. <clears throat> the learning conversation is really where we help each other expand our thinking, see things that we didn't see before, understand things, make connections that we hadn't made before, and to help each other overcome our individual and our group blind spots because we all have them we can't avoid them we have many more blind spots than we have visible spots but it's hard to identify them and work with them by ourselves but we can with other people we can help each other because we're all different we all see things a little bit to a lot differently so the learning conversation is where we help each other do that the design conversation is uh, where we make decisions and where we commit ourselves in particular directions. So design is actually happening everywhere in an organization. Your vision statement, your mission statement, goals, objectives, the metrics you're going to use to gauge performance, all of those are designed. They didn't fall out of the sky. Somebody or somebody's decided this is what's important. This is the future that I want this organization or this team or myself to uh, realize it's in the future or to move towards. These are the goals that are most valuable for our company. These are the standards that are most important to our customers or to uh, product design, whatever it is. All of this is, I call this, uh, it is all design. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And one of my favorite um, parts of the design conversation is problems uh, and uh, thinking about problems as uh, something that is are designed. So when you look at a problem, you tend to think, we, we generally think, well, <clears throat> the problem is just there. It exists there independent of me. Mm-hmm. But that's actually never the case. No, there, there's no such thing as a problem that exists independent of some person somewhere who says, this is a problem for me. Now, that sounds like it's kind of just a semantical, you know, sleight of hand, but it's actually turns out to be really important because if you assume that all problems are just there, kind of waiting to be seen by somebody, you really limit your possibility for performance and for uh, innovation, among other things. Well, there's a, that phrase of, you know, I've got a solution in search of a problem. Yes. Um, you know, it, 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 so, so you're right. I mean, it's from a performance standpoint. It's like you can go and waste a lot of time on things which are disconnected from anything which actually drives, is important to the business, drives performance for the business. And I'm trying to think like, isn't that like a Covey thing of, of uh, being aware of when you identify things and in kind of the, his buckets and moving things a, a, across that uh, identify things well that, yeah, that I, really I, aren't I, attached to anything. So why are we focusing any time in, on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this kind of goes back to one of those principles from earlier. Um, if I recognize that problems are always declared by somebody or somebody's, that gives us the the freedom to to then question and examine just what you were where you were going just then. Well, why is why do we say this is such an important problem? For whom is this a problem? And uh, would solving this particular problem really make a big change in our performance? And for whom? So um, recognizing that problems are declared and that they can always be just let go of in favor of a, a more valuable, meaningful problem. It changes the way we relate to problems in general and to mm -hmm. solutions. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, those are sort of some, some uh, highlights of the design conversation. Then, then there's the fulfillment conversation. The reason I use the term fulfillment, it's really, we're talking about execution <clears throat> and uh, for me, execution is all about promises. The, the way we execute in organizations is people make promises to other people to do certain things by certain dates. And the, uh, the way, the types of promises that we make have a lot to do with the types of problems we've declared for ourselves to solve. Mm -hmm. And the way that we solve, the way that we manage our promises to one another has a lot to do with how well I'm performing and how well I'm, uh, what I'm doing aligns with what you're doing uh, with, and aligns with what the people in the, you know, the next department over are doing. Mm -hmm. So um, performance is personal. 
performance is a personal commitment. And that's why I think I use the word promise because it, it, it's not a common term in a lot of business environments. We tend to think, well, it's his job because it's his job description. Well, yeah, on a certain level it is, but um, how many times do you have, do you find people whose job description it is to do something, but they don't do it, or they have a very different understanding of what the priorities are. So performance is always personal as our promises. And that means that I know when I make a promise to you, you know that I'm the guy mm -hmm. to talk to when things go well or when they don't go well. And I know that it's my job to satisfy you, my customer, not only by doing what you asked me to do that I said I would do, but also by doing it in ways and managing myself in ways that uh, help you do your job and help you trust that things are going to go well. So it's a whole, it's a whole level a set of skills, managing promises. Well, well, there's a, I mean, it's a lot, part of my audience are really big in the OKR, the objective key results from a, you know, a tool standpoint and that, that philosophy of it. I've worked yeah. for companies. Microsoft is a great example of that, where, uh, if you want to understand the motivations of an individual uh, in the well-run sides of uh, parts of Microsoft, I should point out, um, where you go talk to an individual. Uh, in fact, this is my guidance when people say, well, how do I work with as a partner? How do I work with Microsoft? It's uh, well, if you, the person you're talking to, if you understand their personal commitments and their team commitments and how that rolls up, um, that's the key to their, their conversation. If, if I'm able to working with you, Grayson, if I understand your commitments are these, these are the primary performance that you are measured on that your bonus is based on, you know, if I understand that, and if then I, I then shape my conversation with you around Grayson, I can help you meet or exceed two of your three major commitments. And here's how I would do that. It already, I don't need to be, uh, you know, hammer you with what I want and what my selfish needs are, what I'm trying to do as a vendor coming to you. I'm, I'm coming to you from the perspective of, I understand what your performance metrics are. Here's how I can help you achieve those or exceed those. Great example. That, that's going to ch completely change that. And that's why having OKRs, Having that kind of method, again, I don't care what tool people use, what framework they follow around that. This goes back to kind of my project manager roots, but that at the end of the day is what's the purpose of, of the meeting? What's the purpose of us, us getting together? It comes down to here's my individual, here's my team and organizational metrics. Here's what we're driving towards. And here's if I, I know that if I go and achieve of my three primary metrics, that my I'm going to help my organization achieve their three primary metrics, and that'll roll up in, in the org. And, and so it's it's a great. Again, I I realize this is not not entirely what you're talking about in fulfillment. It kind of sits across the three conversation types, but uh, again, it goes back to understanding what's the what's the intent, what's the purpose of of the conversation, and what are the the individual goals you know that that others are trying to get out of that conversation and 
if you're able to, and that's where I go back to where I, where it kind of started saying, if I understand the motivations of the person, the personality, the style, the, the goals, kind of all of those different things and change my approach based of what I understand about you, it's going to be a more satisfying interaction for both of us. I'll, that's I'll right. yeah. well, that's the theory anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the theory. That's right. And, and, and when things go well, that's what's happening. And the, those three conversations, you know, they're not static uh, and they're not linear. We can, you know, start in a conversation <clears throat> about fulfillment. Like, well, Christian, I understand you're you're committed to this. You've made this promise to produce this result by this time. Um, but let's talk about what that um, what that might how that might actually affect the promise that I'm making over here. And then maybe we go go back into a design conversation and we we make some new decisions and we renegotiate our promises so they're better aligned with the customer that we're trying to serve or that we're, we're more aligned with what other people and other standards are being used in the organization. And maybe we go back to a learning conversation because we realize we're operating on assumptions that we don't really share yet. So we go in and out of these three conversations. It can be quite fluid, even in the course of a single meeting. You might, you know, weave into to a learning conversation, to a design conversation, fulfillment, back to learning, through back to making promises in the fulfillment conversation. So it's a very fluid thing. Yeah, oh, that's that's my experience too. It's uh, you know we're we're uh, and that's why it's it's really really difficult. I, well, let me put it this way. It's like, even as we started the, the podcast, like I, I prefer to have a conversation. That's not like, here's the 10 questions that I'm going to ask. We're going to go through them in order. It's like, no, it's, it should be much more organic. There are themes, there are some topics, some ideas that we'd want to touch on, but let's let that be organic. Now I have like my goals, my purpose in, in this, you have yours, things that you want to talk about, things I want talked about within this, similar to a meeting, like you need to have ownership of the things that you need to get out of those interactions in those, those collaborative moments inside your organization. And others need to be responsible for uh, uh, what they own. Joking with my, my kids uh, when they were younger, We'd always just like, who's the boss of you? I'm the boss of me. That's right. So you're the boss of you. Here's the things that need to be done. I don't care how you do them. Like they need to be done. And here's the here's the constraint of the time frame. Like go, go get it done. And uh, uh, throwing things under your bed out of sight is not how it gets done. You know, but <laughs> uh, but in interactions in 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 the workplace. Um, again, making it clear, like, here's what I'm trying to get out of it. Uh, here's what I understand you're trying to get out of it. Um, here's what we, here's how I think we can move forward. What are your thoughts on that? Again, that's a very collaborative, open style where you're being, trying to be very transparent in those things. And it's, I, I don't see that style very often. It's great when I do, but, yeah. you know, <clears throat> Exactly. You know, what, what, instead of that, what you often see is people know that they can say the words that you just said identically to how you said it. But as soon as the conversation starts, they're, they're off to the races trying to get their needs met. Right. 
Well, I can say, yeah, I, I I understand that you have your goals in the conversation, your needs, but here's what I need. You know, here's and and I'm off doing whatever uh, I can to get my way, and that that kind of brings us to the fifth principle in, in that I talk about in my book, which is intention, <laughs> and that intention really matters because the uh, if my intent is just always to get my needs met, to have my ideas accepted, then. I could be so well-trained and execute all of these beautifully collaborative techniques perfectly. I could listen actively. I can paraphrase well. I can do all that stuff. I can you know, say how much I respect differences, but that's not actually what's going to be coming out of my body. Yeah, yeah. My presence is going to be something very different than that. And that's what... Uh, that's the difference between being very clear about your intention and just being focused on technique or on trying to get your way. So for me, full contact intention is recognizing that that you and I are in this for the long game. You know, I'm going to be working with you for a while. It could be weeks, months, years. And uh, it's it's more than just getting our respective uh, needs met in this conversation or on this project. It's recognizing we, we have a relationship and the more trust we can build, the more I can take care of you while also seeing to addressing my needs and the more you can do that for me. Uh, that's just going to be a virtual cycle that we create that's going to allow us to do uh, more and more together and to encounter more difficult, more and more challenging circumstances effectively in the future. Yeah. So that's really the uh, the role of intention is being very clear on that at the outset. Well, Grayson, I know that we're uh, we're out of time, but I really appreciate this. This is again, I this is a, 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 a an area that I'm you know personally just interested in, you know, because it's a it's so critical for. People and this is why I'm just such a fan of uh, for especially people that manage people. I think there are skills that everyone can learn and pick up and 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 develop. Um, but for especially if you manage other humans, that you constantly look at and work on and develop these these skills because like a language, if you're not using it, if you're not speaking the language, you're going to lose it. You're going to forget it. You might recognize some of those words, like me with Spanish. I can recognize certain words, but three years of Spanish, gone. It's, <laughs> you know. right. But so, Grayson, so of course, I'll have the links if folks that want to find out more about uh, Grayson James, and I'll have links to uh, the book as well as to your, your consulting company uh, and other contact information. Um, any, any last words on, on the, the, the book or what actions people can take if they want to find out more? Uh, no, you know, I think the book hopefully speaks for itself. Uh, I hope that people will get a lot out of it and, uh, I've enjoyed this learning conversation with you, Christian. Thank you. You've been listening to the collab talk podcast. New episodes are published on most Fridays, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.